I'm your host, Matt Prater. Today we're talking with recording artist Paul Coleman. Paul is one of the best singer-songwriters I know and one of the funniest blokes I've ever met. And he's just joined Grammy Award-winning band The Newsboys. We caught up with Paul at a recent bookstore signing. G'day, how you doing? Welcome, Paul. These are very insecure moments because when you do a signing... I've never done a signing where anyone's ever turned up. Never, personally. So when you know you're doing a, a, a signing thing, it's like, oh, this is a... You, you just know that your ego is like a peanut on the ground and an elephant just goes... Because I'm going to sit over there and there's going to be like eight people. And three of them I brought with me. So it's, re- it's really good for you. Like, unless you're Bono, this thing doesn't go too well, generally. Uh, I've been at bookstore signings with Third Day and there's been 44 people, you know. So this is very good for the ego. And I'm going to... Uh, Prepare myself, thank you God, for what I'm about to receive. Make me truly thankful. Tell us, Paul, how did you start out as a singer? By not singing very well. Uh, see, I was a church talent quest when I was 11, and it was really awful. I'm really glad it wasn't recorded and to be able to use it against me at some future date. And what was the first ever song that you sung in public? Oh, I think I sang a Peter Sellers song with my sister, Peter Sellers and Sophie Loren song, and I made up, messed up the words and she started laughing at me. And so I knew at that point, seeing I held it together, that I would probably be the more professional one out of the two because I know I made the mistake and I sang something ridiculous, but she humiliated me. But I've since forgiven her, we're all right. But I think it was a Peter Sellers song. Um, what was it? Uh, do, 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 means that I love you. Did you remember that one? No, probably not. Anyway. And did you grow up in Melbourne? I was born in London. And when I was seven, my parents moved to Australia. I wanted to stay and get a flat, but, you know, they figured at seven I probably wasn't ready to survive. So we came, moved to Australia, moved to Sydney first and then to Melbourne and uh, lived there for 20-something years. And then I've lived the last five years in America. And when did you start professionally as a singer? Professionally means getting paid or professionally means you're actually any good at it? Getting paid. Oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) Well, you know, there's a distinction. Probably about 15 years ago where I started getting paid. Uh, But I really went full-time with music about 10 years ago. I was teaching for a few years at a school and just felt like it wasn't what I wanted to do as a career. Did you enjoy singing in pubs and clubs? Yes, I still do. Yeah, I loved it. I just like being where people are. You know, I I like singing in churches. I like singing in pubs. I like singing in funerals. I like singing at weddings. I just just enjoy enjoy connecting with people and... uh, you know, the, the, obviously the favourite places where it's a sold-out room and people are there just for you and they know your music and they cheer you when you come on stage, but that doesn't happen that often. So I've begun to realise my favourite places anywhere. And, I, you know, OK, that's more enjoyable for the ego and the senses and all that, but a lot of times I have to introduce myself still, you know, and that's all right too. I just get up there and do what I do. Now, I was just looking at paulcoleman.com the other day and I saw you did a fundraiser for a young guy named Leighton Aikens. Yeah, this was amazing. I, I got an email a few years ago from his mother... Leighton is now passed away. Uh, the father, Leo, four boys. First boy um, was diagnosed with a really, really rare heart disease and uh, died from it. And they thought, well, we better get the other boys checked up. The doctor said, there is no, this heart disease is so rare, there's no way that lightning will strike. You've got a one in five billion chance or something. Sure enough, second boy actually got it as well. Uh, Linton, he got it as well. And, um, and he died as well. And after his death, 
the mother emailed me because my song "Fill My Cup" apparently had been the song that little Leighton used to play, used to play, and rub his brother's back every night when he was in pain to get him to sleep, and they'd sing that song over and over again. And I, yeah, that's just like I got that email. I just it, it just floored me. I wept and I showed it to my wife, and I was very overcome. And I emailed the mother back and I said, "Look, you know, you know, when you sit down to write a song, you never think that." It's going to impact someone like that, and in your in your mind and your ego, there's this. Oh, I want to fill a stadium and have everyone chanting my name, but in the end, that's that's like the greatest honour I've ever heard. You know, that's that's wonderful. And so, then the third son was diagnosed with the disease, and uh, they said this time we're going to get a heart transplant, and so we needed to raise some money for the heart transplant. And I emailed the family and said, "Look, is there anything I can do? Can I come up and do a concert?" And so. I went up to Indiana, where they're from, and, and uh, we raised quite a significant amount of money for the boy, um, little Leighton's um, heart transplant. And so now he's back from hospital and doing really well, and he's about to have his coming home party, and I'm going to go up there for that. And, but, you know, when you sit and talk with a dad who says these words to you, um, yeah, Paul, that would be really great, because I've, I've just finished paying off my second son's funeral. It's just like... There's nothing you can really say. I mean, I hugged this guy and I embraced him and, and I sang Fill My Cup that night at the concert and he was sitting with his hands in his face. And, you know, it's at that moment you realise that the gift you've been given, you grew up thinking it was all about you and it was all about what you could do with it and how you could manipulate a crowd and how you could control people and how you could walk into a room and people think you're something and somebody. And then after a while, God really shows you that that is the same pride that had Lucifer kicked out of heaven because he was very gifted and he was one of the few angels that could stand face to face in front of God and it's the same pride that's in you and so it's moments like that that really humble you and teach you that you know God is so much bigger than any gift you've been given and you need to give it back to him that's why I put that on my website because I wanted people to read this story and I wanted them I want a businessman to see it and give to this family because they really need help so it's uh that was a pretty amazing experience. Incredible family. Now, you also recently renewed your wedding vows after 10 years. Yeah. How important is that to you? It was good. I still got the ring on too, which means I haven't got that fat. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was really cool. Um, that whole grass is greener thing is a very powerful addiction, thinking of you know, that something great's going to happen down the track and not realising that what you have is incredible. And these are the days, you know, when you're 50, 60, 70, whatever, you can look back, oh, I remember when we were in that back alley, we couldn't even get into the gig. And you're not, you're not thinking, it's like, well, those good times are now. Now they're here. And, you know, you can have a million people chanting your name, and if you don't have peace in your heart, it doesn't matter. And the road to artistic endeavour is just littered with people like Elvis Presley and Jimi Hendrix and Michael Hutchins and, and these people. They're just proof of the fact that, it's just not enough. And so I just wanted to pull off the highway for a while and say, all right, my car looks pretty good from the outside. I'm going 200 clicks down the autobahn. It's a Beamer. I'm looking good, but underneath it, I know my gasket is wrecked. My pistons are not firing properly. I'm just about to run out of gas, and I know, but no one else really knows. And so I just wanted to pull off the highway and just say, all right, okay, God. And, I, and it's been a, a, a trying process for me trying to understand what it's like when he leads and i'm only just getting it i'm only but like there's these opportunities that have come to me that are out of left field that i would not have anticipated that are completely like what he's doing what 
And yet it's totally a God thing. And it's like I'm so excited that he is leading me. And, and I'm beginning, just beginning to understand what it is to be intimate with God. But it, it is really cool. And uh, I know it sounds sort of cliche, God leading and everything, but if it's true, then it's true. And I, I'm, not, I'm not a cliche kind of person. But I'm just beginning to understand what it is to say, all right, God, you gave me these abilities, you gave me these talents, you gave me what I have. So how about, how about you drive? You know, because I've locked him in the trunk. I've left him like a hitchhiker on the road. I've sped past him. I've run into him. I've put him in the front seat. I've thrown him in the back seat. I've silenced him. I've gagged him. And now I'm letting him drive. You know, and now I'm... <laughs> but he's so kind, you know. I had this vision the other day. If I'm sitting in the back with a steering wheel still in my hands because it was super glued and he's cut off the steering column and just let me sit there so I can still think I'm driving. <laughs> That's the image I had. So uh, uh, I want to live the rest of my life with God being the one that creates the opportunity because I have this problem is that I'm very capable of creating opportunities. I'm quite a driven person. I'm very focused. It's like um, when, the, when the Israelites wanted a king, you know, there was this Saul, this guy that had this natural ability and it ended up being the very thing that was his undoing, whereas David was this humble little boy. But I think better to be someone who doesn't have that much seeming natural ability and personal charm and charisma and yet be someone that God uses than be someone with a lot of that and God only uses a little bit because you're doing so much. And I think that what well, Jesus said, it. he said, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. If you seek to lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. And so I'm seeking to lose my life. It's awkward, but it's, it's wonderfully awkward. And all my friends are saying, wow, what's up with you? I'm like, oh, you know, um, have you heard of Jesus? Yeah, he's, he's really cool. I'm getting to know him. <laughs> I've been talking about him for a while. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's kind of what's been happening. And, and it's influenced the music. It's influenced everything. I also read on your website that you said you felt like God was saying to you, Go back to your family and you'll find the right songs. And it was there that you found the inspiration for Let It Go. Tell us about that process. Well, when that culminated was at the Dove Awards last year, which is like the Christian Grammys. And, you know, it's over here we were Artist of the Year, but all we got was an email. But in, in America, um, you know, in America it's like this big award show. It's kind of gaudy, actually. I'm, I'm kind of not sure about it anymore, but it's cool. And, and, you know, people get awarded and patted on the back for these things in Christian music. And... Uh, this, is a, this, is, this was three, three months after the trio had parted ways and uh, we'd been kicked off our record label on the third day and Jars of Clay and Smitty and all these people and I was thinking, oh great, now what's going to happen? And, and I'd just about to, I was about to sign a new record deal but no one knew yet and it was like I'd been dumped by a girlfriend but, and I had a new one lined up but no one knew, you know, it was that sort of feeling. Not that that's many years ago now but it was that sort of feeling of feeling dumped and like, oh really, she dumped you? You know, and you want to go, yeah, but I've got another one, you know, but you can't say that. Anyway, I was backstage at the Dove Awards and I'd, I'd hired a publicist. Thousand bucks I spent on a publicist, little Mandy, to take photos of me with all these artists, Switchfoot, you know, Jars of Clay, everybody. So I wanted to put on my website to say, hey, I'm still, you know, <laughs> I'm still going with the big boys, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I kind of had this, I guess I had an ambition to sort of show the trio guys and everything, you know what, you know, it's okay, I can make it on my own. All these secret ambitions are all in your heart. We just don't talk about them, but I, I talk about them. Because if you turn the light on, the darkness has nowhere to run. So I figured, screw the darkness, I'm going to turn the light on. So I was backstage and I just kept hearing God say to me, dude, well, that's what he would say if he was Californian. Dude, <laughs> dude I, I, I just felt like he was saying, you're really trying so hard. And 
you know, I'm not in this. I'm not in this. I'd even got a $200 ticket sitting next to third day in the front row so that when the cameras panned across, I'd be right there leaning over going, yeah, Mac, how are you doing? <laughs> I know this sounds like so stupid, but I really was thinking this. And I kept hearing the Lord say, go home. And I'm like, You've got to, this must be the voice of the devil. I mean, I'm not going to go home. This is my night. This is the night where I pump hands and kiss babies and sign autographs and hang around with the right people, go to the right parties, you know. And I just kept hearing him say, go home. I'm the best manager you'll ever have. I'm the best producer you'll ever have. I'm the best songwriter you'll ever have. I'm where the songs are. You're looking for songs? I'm there with me. And I'm not in this. I'm not in what you're doing. got so loud that I eventually went, I can't believe I'm going to do this. I said, Mandy, I'm going home. She goes, what? I said, she goes, you want me to give you the money back? No, take the money. It's fine. So on the way home, I was just thinking, I can't believe I'm driving home. So I called my wife. She goes, what are you doing? I said, we're going out for sushi. She's like, what? So I picked her up, took her out for dinner. The next, the next morning I got up and I wrote one of my favourite songs on my record. It's called I'm Coming Home. And it's, it just basically says, what am I looking for? Everything I want is here. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got two beautiful girls. I've got the God of the universe that loves me. What, what, am, I, what, what am I trying to do? And so that, beca- that, that, that has continued to be uh, kind of a big source of where my... I haven't really moved on to anything else. Now, there might be people who are listening at the moment and they're far away from God and, they, and they're thinking, this guy has got a connection with God that I want. What would you say to them? How, how do you think they could get closer to God? I would say, listen, because he's coming after you. He's been coming after you for a long time. And he's speaking to you, and he's not like, you don't have to chase after him. He actually has been knocking on your door for years. He's been whispering stuff. You've called it your conscience. You've called it some sort of enlightenment. But it's not. It's him. He is the lover of your soul, and he's, he's coming after you, and he doesn't stop. And your busyness and your rejection and your anger and your lust and your greed, that choke out his voice, but it's always there. So just say, God, where are you? I, I need you to speak to me. I need, I need to know where you are. And if you, it's, the scripture says if you pray that sincerely, he will answer. Um, and sometimes it takes two minutes, sometimes it takes five years. Depends how, depends how much he knows you need to be persistent for. If you're someone like me, he's got to go, all right, well, I've heard your charm a million times, Coleman, but how serious are you getting up in the morning and talking to me? How serious are you about not running running after those opportunities and sitting there going, all right, God, which one? Ha, ha, come on. You know, because he knows me and, he, and his love of me is that he knows my weaknesses. Whereas some people might just be right on the edge of suicide and God knows that too. And maybe they won't have to wait as long. Maybe they'll just go, they'll just breathe out, God. And he'll just go, he'll be right there talking to you. So I would say just listen to what he's already saying. Because, and, and it helps me around people who are also listening. That's why people go to church, because we have problems listening. We need to be around others that can go, hang on, shh, there he is. And we're like, oh, yeah, thanks. I, I was talking too much. You know, so, uh, and read his book too. Good value, 66 books for the price of one. Can't go wrong with the Bible. Thanks very much, Paul, for joining us uh, today on History Makers. If you'd like to hear any more information about History Makers or Paul Coleman, just go to historymakersradio.com. Thanks for joining us. History Makers.